Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments. This is Season 6, so sit back and enjoy. Listen to some stories of the weird, of the odd, of the strange and unusual some ghost stories, some cryptid stories, some just strange stuff. Again, welcome to Season 6. Enjoy! Hello friends and neighbors and fellow Mysterians. Welcome back to Terry's Mysterious Moments. I am your host, Terry from Texas. This week, I want to go into some Old West ghost stories. Because we're between holidays, I didn't want to do a holiday-themed show, so here's some Old West ghost stories. Located in Jones County, Texas, Fort Phantom Hill is one of the most pristine historic sites in the Lone Star State. Built in the early 1850s to protect the westward-moving pioneers, the historic site not only provides today's visitors with a rich historical view of the past, but is said to be extremely haunted. In 1849, the federal government sent Captain Randolph B. Marcy to explore the vast region to the north and west of Austin to establish a route through the area. Long inhabited by the warlike Comanche Indians, the area was known as the Comancheria. Marcy's exploration aimed to establish a safer passage for immigrants headed to the California gold fields. As a result of Marcy's recommendations, a cordon of forts, including Fort Phantom Hill, were established on the new route through the Comancheria. Acting on orders from General Persifer F. Smith, Lieutenant Colonel John J. Abercrombie arrived at the Clear Fork of the Brazos River with five companies of the 5th Infantry on November 14, 1851. His first impression was not good, as a wet snowstorm blew in, killing one teamster and 20 horses, mules, and oxen that froze to death. Also, Abercrombie found, much to his dismay, that the site had neither wood for construction nor suitable water for the men and the animals. Though he sent word of the poor conditions, the orders were unchanged and construction on the fort began. What was unknown to both Smith and Abercrombie was that the fort was being built at the wrong location. Smith had just recently taken command from his ailing general, 
who had been supervising the construction of the forts along the route. The plan had been to build the fort at a site in Coleman County, but Smith, unfamiliar with the area, changed the locale to the Clear Fork near its junction with Elm Creek. This decision affected the post's future as the fort was built in an area with inadequate water and building timbers to supply the needs of the new garrison. Stone was brought in from Elm Creek about two miles south of the fort and oak logs for the officers' quarters in the hospital had to be brought in by ox wagon from as far away as 40 miles. The guardhouse, magazine, and commissary storehouse were built entirely of stone, but the other buildings were adobe style. Fort Phantom Hill was never officially named. Instead, it was referred to as the post on the Clear Fork of the Brazos. There are two legends about the origin of the unofficial designation Phantom Hill, the first of which is that the hill rises sharply from the plains when approached from a distance, but seems to level out as it is approached, vanishing like a phantom. The second account is that a nervous sentry who fired on what he thought was an Indian on the hill. The investigation that followed failed to discover the presence of any Indians, and one of the troopers suggested that the man had seen a ghost. Life at the fort was difficult for the soldiers as Elm Creek was often dry and the waters of the Clear Fork were brackish. Early on, an 80-foot deep well was dug near the guardhouse, but even it was not always reliable. More often than not, it was necessary to haul water barrels in wagons from a spring about four miles upriver from the post. Because of the lack of water, a post garden could not be toiled, leading to a shortage of vegetables in the men's diet. As a result, the soldiers began to suffer from scurvy, fevers, dysentery, colds, and pneumonia. Desertions at the fort were said to have been common due to the monotony and loneliness at the isolated fort. One member of the garrison, Lieutenant Clinton Lear, wrote a letter to his wife in Fort Washita, Oklahoma, that described it this way. When I say to you that we have a beautiful valley to look on, I have said everything favorable that could be said of this place. Our camp is pitched in a small grove of blackjack of about five acres extent within two or three hundred yards of a creek, the water of which is salt or brackish and bitter. Everybody is disgusted. Like the dove after the deluge, not one green sprig can we find to indicate this was ever intended by man to inhabit. Indeed, I cannot imagine that God ever intended for white man to occupy such a barren waste. Although the isolated fort was vulnerable to attacks, its garrison had only peaceful encounters with the Indians, including the Comanche, the Lipan, the Wichita, the Kiowa, and the Kickapoo. Because its occupation was relatively uneventful, the fort was abandoned on April 6, 1854. 
At the time of its evacuation, the Indian menace had been curbed due to the establishment of reservations on the upper Brazos and the Clear Fork to the northeast. As the troops marched out of Fort Phantom Hill, headed toward El Paso, they looked back to discover the fort was in flames. The event was blamed on the Indians or Confederate troops, but many said it was the garrison members because of their distaste for the post who set the fire. I guess that would be reasonable. Let's get the heck out of Dodge and burn this place down so we won't remember it. In 1858, the remaining structures of the fort were repaired and utilized as a way station. The Southern Overland or Butterfield mail stagecoach line would use. During the Civil War, Colonel James B. or Buck Berry, who was commander of a Texas Ranger unit all through the war, and some of his units used Fort Phantom Hill as a base of field operations. Beginning in 1871, the fort served as a subpost of Fort Griffin near present Albany, Texas. After the Indian War subsided, a town grew up around the fort ruins. In 1876-77, it was a buying and shipping point for buffalo hides. By 1880, Fort Phantom had a population of more than 500 and was made the Jones County seat the following year in 1881. However, that was a short live title as the county seat was moved just six months later in November to nearby Anson, Texas. The Texas and Pacific Railway routed its tracks through Abilene, 14 miles to the south. A letter written to the San Antonio Express in 1892 commented that Fort Phantom contained nothing but one hotel, one saloon, one general store, one blacksmith shop, and 10,000 prairie dogs. In 1928, John Guitar of Abilene, Texas, purchased the property. In 1969, his grandson, Jim Alexander, also of Abilene, deeded the property to the Fort Phantom Foundation to ensure its long-term preservation. Today, Fort Phantom Hill is one of the most pristine historic sites in Texas. Besides a dozen or so chimneys sprouting up above the plains, the 22-acre site includes three intact stone buildings, including the powder magazine, a guardhouse, and the commissary. The site is open daily during daylight hours and is free to visitors. While no accommodations are provided at the site, Informational brochures are available and the major structures are clearly marked. Visiting the site gives modern day visitors a feel for what life must have been like here in the 1850s as people tried to tame the unforgiving West Texas landscape. The fort is part of the Texas Forts Trail, a 650 mile highway tour of historic Texas. The fort is 11 miles north of Interstate 20 at Abilene on FM 600. You can also access the fort on the Texas Forts Trail on FM 2833. Informational pamphlets 
are available on site and major structures are marked. Ironically, the Fort Phantom Hill Reservoir was built in 1937, two miles south of the old post that severely suffered from a lack of water. The reservoir supplies water for about 100,000 people in Taylor and Jones counties. As to the hauntings of the fort, its name alone suggests that it would only make sense that the place would be alive with spirits from the past. Several legends exist that the place is haunted by restless Indians of frontier times who continue to stalk their ancient grounds during the night. Another says the fort is haunted by an innocent man who was wrongly hanged near the fort. After his life ended at the end of the rope, his accusers are all said to have died in mysterious ways. A former Abilene psychic, I don't know if that means they used to live in Abilene or they used to be a psychic, or they used to be alive. A former Abilene psychic who visited the fort said he suddenly saw the old officer's quarters change into its former complete structure where he found himself in the parlor. Two men in officer's uniforms stood before him. One man was said to have been tall and thin, while the other was a short, red-haired man with piercing eyes. As the psychic stood there in fright, the men glared at him, seemingly unhappy at his intrusion. When he turned to flee, the apparitions in the restored building faded. The nearby Lake Fort Phantom Hill is also said to be haunted by a watery spirit, familiarly called the Lady of the Lake. What else would we call her? This phantom woman has been seen numerous times, the first of which almost 150 years ago, long before the lake even existed. So Lady of the Lake is a misnomer at best. Dressed in a light-colored long gown or robe, the watery ghost is said to have been seen wandering aimlessly around the lakeside. Others who have seen her describe the apparition as floating over the lake, sometimes carrying a lantern and surrounded by a bluish glow. Who is this restless spirit? The answer to this question provides as many legends and the spirit herself. The first legend says she was the wife of a pioneer who built a small cabin in the woods that is now filled with Lake Phantom. Amid the dangerous Comancheria, the cabin was often attacked by Indians. To protect themselves, the couple made a pact that no one would enter the cabin without first speaking a secret password. If the code word wasn't given, they were to shoot anything or anyone who tried to enter. One day when the man had gone out hunting, he was ambushed by Indians as he approached his cabin. Injured, he managed to escape and began clawing at the door to his cabin. Forgetting about his password or unable to say it, his wife shot him before he cleared the stoop. According to legend, the forlorn woman continues to wander the lake, cursed for eternity for killing her husband. A second legend says that when a couple was to meet at a church near the lake in the mid-1940s to exchange wedding vows, the groom never arrived. 
after hours of waiting and sure that he would not have left her standing at the altar, she begged authorities to look for her groom. The next morning he was found dressed in his finest suit, floating in a boat in the middle of the lake. Though the man's face bore an expression of severe pain, doctors could not determine the cause of death. Some say the spirit was the bride searching for her fiancé's killer. A third legend places the spirit much later in the early 1980s. According to this tale, a young woman and her lover agree to meet at the lake for an evening of romance. However, when the young man arrived, he was enraged by a rumor he had heard about her and the two began to quarrel. The disagreement grew worse, ending in the man drowning her in the lake. In this version, it is the murdered woman who wanders the lake. Finally, if you were to ask anyone of Hispanic descent, they would most assuredly tell you, and might just as assuredly be wrong, according to historic legend, that the ghostly woman is that of La Llorona, who is often seen about the lakes and rivers of the Southwest. In the real story of La Llorona, or the more commonly accepted story of La Llorona, she seeks her own children, whom she had killed after being disgraced by her former lover, the children's father. In any event, there have been hundreds of sightings throughout the years of the Lady of the Lake, who seemingly doesn't keep her excursions only at the lakeside. She has also been said to have been seen in a nearby cemetery, as well as along a dirt road called Lover's Lane. One couple who saw her at Lover's Lane described her as walking along the road. However, they could see that the apparition had no eyes when she grew closer. Other strange phenomena around the lake include the sounds of screams, moaning, gunshots, and rapping upon vehicle windows. Others report smells of decaying flesh, perfume, and roses. Dogs at the lake have been noticed to go into unprovoked snapping and barking at seemingly invisible visitors. There is a poem about this place which I shall read. On the breezy Texas border, on the prairies far away, where the antelope is grazing and the Spanish ponies play, where the tawny cattle wander through the golden incensed hours, and the sunlight woos a landscape clothed in royal robes of flowers, where the elm and the clear fork mingle as they journey to the sea, and the night wind sobs sad stories o'er a wild and lonely lee, where of old the dusky savage and the shaggy bison trod, and the reverent plains are sleeping midst drowsy dreams of God, where the twilight loves to linger ere night's sable robes are cast, round grim-ruined spectral chimneys telling stories of the past. There upon an airy mesa, close beside a whispering rill, there today you'll find the ruins of old Fort Phantom Hill. Written in 1938 by a man named Larry Chittenden. In 1846, the infamous Donner Party crossed the Ruby Mountains via Overland Pass, 
Another much smaller party, led by Armbruster Pike, was following the Donners, but they were several weeks behind. The same blizzard which stranded the Donner Party in the Sierras likewise hit the Pike Party, which had missed the Overland Pass cutoff and were now in the vicinity of Mooney Basin. According to a document written about the history of White Pine County, the same tragedy befell the Pike Party. Once all food supplies disappeared and their livestock was eaten, they started munching on each other. Whether Armbruster Pike was murdered and his legs were cooked up or he lost both his legs due to frostbite is unknown. What is known is that ever since that horrible winter, the ghost of Armbruster Pike has been seen off and on over the years. A ghost that is always described as being hunchback with long scraggly white hair and beard and no legs. Mining activities have been going on in the Bald Mountain region since the late 1800s. The remains of two ghost towns are in these mountains. One old settlement called Joy lies within the upper reaches of Water Canyon and another, Bald City, is in Upper Mahoney Canyon. There are tales of miners just disappearing and never being found again. One of a miner whose body was found but his head was missing. It was later found some distance away. In, a, in 1957, a local rancher was herding cattle and lost some calves in Mooney Basin. While rounding them up near where the horseshoe pit is now, he saw a figure hunched over in the bushes. When the cowboy went over to look, he came upon a hunchback man with long stringy white hair and beard, and the man had blood all over him and appeared to be eating a dead calf. The man had no legs as well. During the 1980s, modern mining activities began at Bald Mountain and Alligator Ridge. The mechanics who worked on B-Shift, which is the graveyard shift, at the shop at Alligator Ridge witnessed many unexplained events. Haul trucks and dozers in the shop would mysteriously start up all by themselves. Others have seen a lone figure at night seemingly walking across Long Valley, just east of the Alligator Ridge. In 1989, while hauling ore from the top pit to the Alligator Ridge facilities, a contractor was killed when his truck went out of control and rolled. This incident occurred on the S-curve near the Horseshoe Pit in Mooney Basin. Was the driver swerving to miss something or someone? In the late 1990s, the Horseshoe Pit was developed and mined out. During the archaeological survey of the area, a gravesite and human skeleton were discovered. Local Native Americans argued that this was an ancient burial site and that the remains should be turned over to them. The county sheriff's office investigated the matter and determined that the bones were not that old and most likely were from the 50s or 60s. During the development phase of the Horseshoe Pit, many strange incidents occurred. An exploration rig suddenly shut down and all power went out. When the driller went for help and returned with another miner, the drill rig was okay and started right up. A dozer operator had the same thing happen to his equipment, and no one was able to explain the cause of either incident. During a blizzardy winter night, a lube man was driving back from Mooney Basin, and as he approached the S-curve, he almost ran over a man in the road. 
When the lube man reached the shop, he asked if anyone had been walking around in the pit. No one had, and they asked why. The lube man told him about the guy he had nearly run over on the hall road. He had stopped his truck and gotten out to ask the guy on the road if he needed a ride. The guy on the road then took off into the blizzard in the sagebrush. When the lube man was asked to describe him, he said he had a long white beard and white hair and was hunched over. And further, it was blizzarding so bad though that I couldn't see his legs, just from the waist up. The miners in the shop responded, you just saw the ghost of Arm Brewster Pike. The lube man was new on the mine site and had never heard the stories about Pike. Not only did he swear to what he had seen, the lube man saw Pike several more times after that in the same area of the horseshoe. Of course, any ghost story can always use some help. One quiet night in the horseshoe area, a couple of miners left the new guy all alone on the drill rig. Now they had all been recently talking about Arm Brewster Pike, so even the new guy was aware. When the two came back unnoticed, one of them put on a bright raincoat just on his upper torso. He ran through the bushes just within edges of the light from the drill rig. To this day, the new guy swears he saw the ghost of Arm Brewster Pike trying to get him. Another miner was camping in the area one January. He was by himself except for his two dogs. There were only about six inches of fresh snow on the ground. Late into the night, the dogs started growling and the hair on their backs stood up. They took off into the darkness and came back 20 minutes later. The rest of the night, both dogs would sniff and growl occasionally and never completely settle down. The next morning, the miner followed the dogs' tracks to see what they had been barking at and chasing. After following the tracks around a completed circle through the trees and back to the camp, no tracks were found, no deer, no mountain lion, no nothing but the dog tracks. Does the ghost of Arm Brewster Pike really exist? Therein lies the mystery. Well, that's it for this week, my folks, my Mysterians, my friends. Glad to be with you again, and we'll be back with you at another time. Signing off from Texas, this is Terry from Texas. Have a good week, everybody.